Good morning. So wonderful to be here with you, and I'm just so blessed to have Lori, who makes it so festive for us, one of my favorite Wellspring weeks each year. Um, Go ahead and grab your notebook, turn it over. Just like every week, we're going to start with reviewing our Wellspring purpose and our disciplines. So our Wellspring purpose is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God, so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's our goal in meeting together. We equip through teaching, through our homework, through your Bible reading, and we encourage through our time and discussion group, our fellowship, and our Wellspring sisters. We spur one another on to keep battling, to shepherd our hearts, with the very words of God. That's what we have in his word. To keep battling, to live gospel-transformed lives. And in doing this, we strengthen the church as a whole. Now think about that word shepherd when we talk about shepherding our hearts. A shepherd is one who tends sheep, and a good shepherd does that carefully. They faithfully guard and lead the sheep. They sacrificially protect the sheep, and that is a great word picture for shepherding our hearts, to faithfully guard our hearts, to feed them and train them to obey God's word. You know, it's very dangerous for a sheep, and it's very dangerous for our hearts to be unshepherded. There's no protection, no sustenance, but our good shepherd is Jesus Christ. And so our aim in shepherding our hearts is to bring our heart to our good shepherd so that we might receive the shepherding care he has for us as we learn to better follow him. And we do that by prayerfully meeting with God in his word. And that's discipline one. It's something we need to cultivate as a daily discipline. Discipline one is, is that she would prayerfully, she- I'm sorry, prayerfully shepherding her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. Now, last time, Chris was here, and she taught us on Mary and Martha. And I know that most, if not all of us, can easily identify with Martha's struggles. And that's why in the homework you had all those verses about grumbling and complaining. Those are the responses we so easily have if we're not fighting to shepherd our heart. In fact, it's such a common struggle that you notice it was printed on its own sheet of paper so that when you get it back from your discussion leader, you may want to file that under your resource section so that it's easily available for you to review yourself or to share with a friend if you're talking with them and they're struggling. Um, If you ever want a blank copy, it's available on the website because that's a really common struggle that we have. And I know it was a really long hard work, homework, and that's hard, especially this time of year. But remember, we don't come back till January 10th. We have a long break. And so if you didn't finish that homework, I really want to encourage you to go back and, and spend some time on that over the break. Um, we've used it for several years now, and I always benefit to go back and renew my mind with all of those verses. And all of that helps us as we, in all those ways that we identify with Martha. But 
Think about Mary for a minute. For a minute. Remember how Chris um, pointed out that she was feasting her soul on her time with Jesus? Is there a part of you that looks at Mary and thinks, well, I'd sit at Jesus' feet too if he were sitting right here in my living room? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? And yet, what we have is no less amazing. We have words that are every bit as inspired as the ones that were coming out of Jesus' mouth right here in our Bible. And we have God's Holy Spirit abiding within us. Jesus said in John 16 that it was actually to our advantage that he go away so that he could send his spirit to dwell in us. And Hebrews 4 tells us that we don't come before Jesus where he sits on our couch. We come before Jesus sitting on his heavenly throne of grace. Shepherding our hearts to come before God in his word and prayer is to stand on the threshold of heaven, so to speak. And not before the great white throne of judgment, but before our great high priest, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, sitting on his throne of grace. And we are exhorted, let us draw near. That is what our lesson is all about today. It's drawing near to Jesus on his throne of grace. And when we draw near, we receive mercy and we find grace to help in our time of need, such as the need that we have to be ministers of mercy and grace where we live and with our families. And that's discipline too. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Now, relationships in our households and our families are ongoing. We would never run out of opportunities to show grace there. Our homes are our prime opportunity for serving and loving others with our gospel-transformed lives, whether it's people we live with or people that we invite in so that we can show them the love of Christ. And so we must be diligent with shepherding our own hearts so that we're ready to care well and respond well to those in our home. Discipline three, then, is ministry with a heart for God and the gospel And fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Now, I need to be reminded often that I don't even deserve to be in Christ's body. You know, we don't deserve the teaching, the fellowship, the encouragement, the love. We don't even deserve to serve Jesus and his church. But that's our amazing privilege. That's our call to be God's instruments in one another's lives. The body needs the body. We need one another. And that's what Discipline 3 is all about, being involved in one another's lives in meaningful ways to help each other grow. And so that's our Wellspring purpose and our disciplines. Now, a few weeks ago, before the Mary and Martha lesson, Tom was here, and he taught us a lesson that focused on our heart shepherding throughout the day. But today, we're going to look at some practical aspects of this discipline when we are alone with the Lord. Now, remember, Discipline 1 says that she prayerfully shepherds her heart. And so prayer is our focus today. And this lesson is for all of us. Whether we already have a warm, vibrant prayer life, I know many of you do, or if our prayer life seems almost non-existent at times. 
Proverbs 15, 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. By God's grace, believers are counted among the upright because they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and there is the fruit of that righteousness in our lives. We are in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And the prayers of that one delight God. Isn't that amazing that our prayers delight God? And yet, sadly, prayer can be the part of our devotional life which is easiest to neglect. It's possible to be a woman who reads her Bible regularly, who talks about God and his word, and maybe even has a lot of outward appearances of maturity. But what if that woman doesn't have a prayer life? What does that say? How do family members or close friends demonstrate their love for one another, their care and their interest, if they don't talk to each other? Unity and closeness require communication. And so today's lesson is primarily about talking to God in prayer. You know, God talks to us through his word. The Bible is where he has revealed himself to us. But we talk to him in prayer. And we're going to begin with walking through the Gospel of Luke and looking at the prayer life of Jesus. And then we're going to talk about some practical considerations for our time alone with the Lord. After that, we'll work on how to use God's word in prayer. And then finally, we'll look at some specific components of prayer and some tools that might be helpful. So please open up your Bible to Luke chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to lay a foundation for understanding the importance and centrality of prayer in the Christian life. And as we hop, skip, jump through Luke, surveying Jesus' prayer life, we will see how significant prayer is to him. Now, I have to say that as I dug into Luke, I was actually taken by surprise. I'd never noticed how much is recorded about Jesus' prayer life. And so we're going to look at quite a few verses in Luke. And I encourage you to write down things like when the verse occurs or the kind of prayer that's described. And that's going to help you stay engaged and keep tracking as we walk through a lot of verses here. So let's read Luke 3, 21. And when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, now listen to what would happen while he was praying. Heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. We have all three persons of the Trinity, the son being baptized, the spirit descending on him, and the father speaking to him here at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And all of this happened while Jesus was praying. Have you ever noticed that before? Now turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 15. We're dashing through Luke to get a bird's eye view of Jesus' prayer life. And our context here is that Jesus had been healing people. And verse 15 says the news about him was spreading even farther. And large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So Jesus is popular. 
He is needed, and what does he do? He slips away to pray. And he slips away often. It was the habit of his life. He left the distractions, he left the needs for a time, and he prayed. Now turn to Luke 6. We'll start in verse 11. Luke writes, But they themselves, that's the scribes and Pharisees, they were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. It was at this time, when they're figuring out what to do to Jesus, that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Here we find Jesus between the rage of the Jewish leaders and right before the calling of his apostles. This is an intense time for Jesus. And what does he do? He spends the whole night in prayer. Jesus did that even though he is fully God. He's without sin. In the face of these pressing concerns, Jesus foregoes sleep to spend the entire night alone with his father. Now turn over to Luke 9. Once again, in Luke 9, 18, Jesus is praying. And then a few verses later, in verse 28, Luke writes that he took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He didn't go by himself this time. He took three apostles with him. Then verse 29 says, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. This is what we call the transfiguration. His appearance changed. Moses and Elijah appeared. And again, like at his baptism, the father speaks, this time saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And all of this happened while Jesus was praying. Can you see that Jesus' life was saturated with prayer? Prayer was his priority. Turn now to Luke 10, verse 21. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus appointed 70 men to go out and proclaim the gospel. And in verse 17, they returned with joy. And Luke records for us Jesus' words of praise to God. Luke writes, At that very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. When Jesus hears the result of this ministry, he expresses joy and praise to God. Turn now to Luke 11. We'll read together beginning in verse 1. This is when Jesus gave them a short version of what we call the Lord's Prayer, or maybe more accurately called the Disciples' Prayer. Verse 1 says it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. So seeing Jesus pray made the disciples want to pray. 
In verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He teaches them to worship God and to pray for the coming of his kingdom. Verse 3 says, give us each day our daily bread. So they're to ask God for needs to be met, daily needs. So if we are going to ask God for daily needs, then we will need to be drawing near to God in daily prayer. Verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus ends with showing them that they need to be dealing with sin in prayer. Confessing their own sin. Forgiving others' sin against them. And seeking God's help for their weaknesses that they not fall into sin's temptation. So when the disciples saw Jesus pray, they wanted to know how to pray, but they needed to be taught. And so do we. That's what we want to do today to help all of us grow stronger in prayer. Now let's fast forward to Luke chapter 22. Here, Jesus is at the last supper with his disciples. It's the night of his arrest. And beginning in verse 17, Jesus gives thanks first for the cup and then again for the bread. So here we see that Jesus included thanksgiving in his prayer life. Then down in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Jesus says to Peter, whose given name was Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and he is encouraging Peter by telling Peter that he had prayed for him. And do you know that Jesus still prays? Romans 8.34 says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he, is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Intercede means to pray. And Jesus is still talking to the Father. He is praying for us. Now later in the same chapter, in verse 40, we find Jesus on the Mount of Olives. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now don't miss what Jesus was doing there. He had prayed for the disciples, and now he's telling them to pray for themselves. Just because Jesus pray, prays, doesn't mean that we don't need to pray for ourselves. Verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is praying for himself and submitting himself to the Father. Verse 43, now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. 
When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus, in this time of great agony, is still exhorting his disciples to pray, even in the hours leading up to his own suffering and death on the cross. Luke 23 then brings us to the crucifixion. Verse 33 says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is on the cross and he is still praying, but not for himself. He's praying for those who are mocking him, torturing him, killing him. Then dropping down to verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The last words he spoke before his death were to the Father in prayer, entrusting himself to his Father. So prayer matters to Jesus. He prayed alone. He prayed with others. He rejoiced in prayer. He agonized in prayer. He prayed for others. He prayed for himself. He thanked God. He submitted himself to God. And we didn't even look at most of the verses where he is teaching about prayer in this book. But it is clear that Jesus' life was saturated with prayer. Even as the Son of God, even being sinless, he prayed. And he still prays. And he expects us to pray. We saw that, didn't we? Do you see that prayer is all about a relationship with God? And so we've started with looking at Jesus' prayer life because it's very motivating. His love for his Father, his love for being with his Father, his dependence on the Father and his submission to him, his thankfulness. That's what we want. We want to cultivate that kind of nearness to God, which is possible because of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. It is a profound privilege. So, now that we've looked at Jesus' prayer life, let's turn our attention to some practical aspects of praying and meeting with God in his word. We'll look at some principles and some suggestions for how to apply them. And if you already have a strong biblical prayer life and devotional life in the word, then don't feel like you have to change anything. But sometimes it's really helpful to change things up, to try a fresh approach with some aspect of our time alone with the Lord. Um, or there maybe are some ways that you really need to grow, really want to grow, and there are some tools here for you to try. But in all of it, we need to remember that the point is to draw near to our God. So let's look at some practical wisdom. 
Much of this comes from D.A. Carson's book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. It's an excellent book on prayer, and I highly recommend it. But in the book, Carson says, much praying is not done because we fail, I'm sorry, because we do not plan to pray. The same thing can be said for reading the word. Now, of course, we don't want a plan that will burden us, but a plan that serves us, uh, that serves to help us draw near to the Lord and to grow and to be more consistent, that kind of plan is extremely helpful. So what kind of things might we need to plan for? Now, you're going to have the opportunity in discussion group to talk about some of this, especially with what this looks like for you over the holidays. You've got a handout about that that you can pull out in discussion group and use to help you think about what this might look like for you. But we're going to start with talking about where. Is there a place where you can read and pray out loud, for example, if that's something that helps you stay focused? Perhaps you find it helpful to stand or to get on your knees or to sing? Is it a place where you can do that? For most of us, it's very helpful for to be alone. Um, it doesn't mean there's not a place and a time for coffee shops or for sitting on the couch while the kids are playing a game, if that's the best opportunity on some days. But those might not be the best regular choices. So it's helpful to think about the right place for our time with the Lord. And it's also helpful to think about when. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, here's a good memory verse to start with. It says, pray continually. You probably can walk out of here today and have it down. Um, But that's the kind of prayer that happens as we go about our day. It really emphasizes that prayer is about a relationship with God. And I know some of you are very purposeful about using time when you're driving or taking a shower or out walking or exercising and using that time to pray. And that is such a precious way to make the most of the moments in your day, to draw near to God and to care for one another in powerful, unseen ways. We absolutely do not want to think about time with God as something that only happens if we have a great big chunk of time. We want to be pursuing God in those small windows of opportunity as well. You know, we could leave our Bible open on our kitchen counter or on our desk or on our phone, perhaps, and it would be a constant reminder that we need and we want to get into the Word. And it's right there. We can stop and read a verse and meditate on it anytime there's the opportunity. I recently discovered an app that has dramatic readings of the word, and I have loved listening to entire books of the Bible while I'm making dinner. It's just been really sweet. But we also saw that Jesus' life had times specifically devoted to prayer. When he would go to the wilderness or he'd go to the mountain to pray, it was prayer with a starting point and an ending point. It was time specially set aside for prayer. And that's what Colossians 4.2 is talking about when it says, devote yourselves to prayer. It's a command. This kind of devoted prayer requires a commitment of time. Often it's helpful to tie that time of devoted prayer to our time in the Word. For me, early morning is usually the best. So we each need to think through our own week and evaluate, when can I plan to draw near to God in prayer? Is it early in the morning? Is it after kids are off to school? Is it on our lunch hour? Is the evening better for you? Does it need to be at a different time on different days? 
And then it's also helpful to think about how long can I spend? Is 30 minutes realistic for you? An hour? Longer, maybe? Some days, maybe less? Something that I have found that helps me tremendously when I have 30 minutes for my time with the Lord is to set a timer. And there is something about having those numbers just zipping by that keeps me on task. It's just a constant reminder. I don't have time to waste here. I need to stay engaged. And even though it's maybe less time than I would want to have, it can still be a very sweet, intimate time with the Lord. Even if I don't finish all my reading, or even if there are things that I didn't pray for that I had planned to pray for, you know, that's okay. Sometimes I jot those down on a piece of paper and stick them in my pocket and pray for them throughout the day. Sometimes I can go back and finish my reading later, but even if I don't, I've still drawn near to the throne of grace. I've met with God in his word and in prayer, and I've prepared myself to walk with the Lord that day. So whatever time you can commit to, I encourage you to make a plan for using it well, to make it a fruitful time. And by taking the time to plan, even if it needs to be a flexible plan, we cultivate consistency and closeness with the Lord. God gives all of us 168 hours each week, and we are to be good stewards of that time. When we don't make time in our day to spend quietly before the Lord, we are making a choice. You know, we live in a culture that tells us that we need time for Facebook and time for friends and time for ourselves, that we deserve a break. But we need to turn all of those kinds of me time into God time. That's what we truly need, and that's what the people around us need for us to do as well. Shepherding our hearts in prayer and the word does take time, but we will never regret the time that we invest, even when it's costly. Now, another area where planning is very helpful is with distractions. How can we battle distractions? Well, here are a few ideas. We should pray about it. We need to ask the Lord to help us battle distractions. I already shared that a timer is something that I find helpful. We can pray out loud. We can pray scripture. We'll talk more about that in a minute. We can try different postures, standing or kneeling. It's really helpful to have a notepad handy so when you find a verse that you want to text to a friend, you jot it down and then jump right back into your time with the Lord and not let that take you away from your time. Or something crosses your mind, I've got to be sure to do that today. Jot it down. You can put it out of your mind and return to your time with the Lord. It's good to realize that distractions do come. No matter the season of life we're in, none of us have outgrown distractions. Sometimes those distractions have feet on them, right? They come pattering into our room earlier than we had expected. You know, maybe there's some training or communication we can do that will help with that. Some moms teach their children that, you know, until the little hand is pointing at the seven, they need to stay quietly in their rooms. Or maybe um, some moms can, uh, they've purchased like picture Bibles or Bibles on CD for their kids to listen to. In all of that, the kids begin to catch on that your time with the Lord is precious to you. That, um, and they get to see that their mommy loves Jesus and that, that you need to be with him every day. 
and that you depend on him. Susanna Wesley had 19 children, and she trained her children that when she was on her knees with her apron over her head, they were not to disturb her because she was praying. Her children learned early in life that seeking the Lord was of utmost importance. I'm thinking it might be time to bring those aprons back. <laughs> so we, we might need to talk with those we live with and come up with a place and a time that works well for everyone in our house. We each just need to honestly evaluate for ourselves also to what extent our electronics either help us or hinder us in our time alone with the Lord. Some people find it very helpful. They're not distracted by all the things, places that those electronics can take us so quickly. But some of us find it to be very distracting. If we hear that little chime go off, it's so hard not to go find out what's, <laughs> what it was. Of course, I, I was talking to my husband about this, who, who uses his iPad, and he says, I'm not distracted at all. And I said, well, who's going to text you at 4 o'clock in the morning? You know, <laughs> He's sitting on the back porch with his iPad. <laughs> Probably not a lot of incoming mail there. Um. But anyway, the point is that we just need to be honest with ourselves about what category we fall into and then do whatever it takes to remove those distractions so that we can focus on the Lord. Well, the last thing we'll consider in this section then is some different components of prayer. We saw that Jesus' life, prayer life, included thanks and praise, submission to God, intercession, and we want to grow in expressing these same kinds of things to God in prayer. Now, we'll talk more about some of those when we open up our booklet together. But before we move on, we'll talk more about praying for others. Now, we certainly can and should pray for people as they come to our minds throughout the day. But it's also very helpful to have a plan for how we can be faithful and consistent to pray for the needs around us. I'll admit, there are times when I've taken down prayer requests at small group um, or told someone that I'd pray for them. And then I drop the ball. I never pull out that slip of paper again, or I completely forget about the promise I made to pray for them. I haven't kept my word. And that's not what I meant to do, but many times that is what has happened because I haven't had a plan to help me be faithful. So I'm going to share a few ideas. Maybe you have an idea that you'd like to share in your discussion group that you found to be helpful for you. Some people like to pray on a different day for different groups of people in their lives. We'll see an example of how you could do that when we open up the booklet together. You might want to make a list of more urgent needs that you pray for daily and then divide other prayer concerns up, um, praying for one particular area each day or wrote, and then rotating through them once a week or once every couple weeks, however long it takes to get through that. You could put them on index cards. You could put them on a calendar, in a journal. My, my husband's grandma was a prayer warrior like I have never known before or since, and she had a Rolodex full of prayer requests, for those of you who are old enough to remember what a Rolodex is. One idea I got from a friend in small group recently was to list out all the people by name for whom you want to pray. And I want to list off some categories of people um, that you might want to be praying for. These are just some ideas. There's not an expectation that all of us will pray for all of these all the time. But these are some categories to consider that we might not think about off the top of our head. There's certainly our family, roommates, clients, coworkers, your small group, your Wellspring group, 
people you serve with, people who serve you, children in Next Generation Ministries, our missionaries, our elders, your friends, government leaders, persecuted believers, unbelievers. The idea is to include the names of the people for whom you want to be faithful in prayer. And then this particular friend alphabetizes those names and then divides them into groups that fit the amount of time that she has to pray each day. Maybe you des- maybe if you were going to do it that way, you would decide, I can pray meaningfully for five people each day. I really want to think about their life and pray for them, their marriage, their family, their ministry, their job, whatever is going on for them. Um, and so then if you had your big long list divided into groups of five, you would just work your way through day by day until you get to the end of the list, and then you could start over. And something that she shared that was really helpful was that it helped her to pray more specifically for people as individuals rather than blanket prayers such as, please help all the girls in my small group get in the word this week, which is a perfectly good thing to pray. Please help the elders have wisdom. Again, good things to pray. But this is just one idea that might help strengthen our faithfulness in prayer. I try to remember when I get home from church to jot down on a sticky note the needs that came out in conversation so I don't forget to pray for them. I stick it right on my Bible so it's right there each morning. The point is not how we pray, but rather how we can best cultivate faithfulness in drawing near to the throne of grace on behalf of others. So you decide what you are going to pray for and how that's going to look for you. And you can try different things. Some of the most encouraging moments of my life have been when others have told me they are praying for me. One of God's means of grace to care for us and to build up his body is others praying for us and us praying for others. That's something we can do for each other. Okay, so now we are ready to talk about using scripture in prayer. D.A. Carson says that using scripture to inform our prayers is how we learn to pray what our Heavenly Father wants um, and what he expects us to ask for. God's word is where we learn how to approach God. Remember the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and God teaches us to pray as we use his word to pray. Now that doesn't mean that we can't just talk to God. Of course we can. That's what prayer is. But including God's word in our prayers helps us to pray according to his will. Now, there are a couple things we want to avoid when we use God's word in prayer. We don't want to think um, that just saying the words of scripture like some kind of a mantra or a chant uh, has some sort of special power or something like that. The prayers we pray still need to flow from our heart um, to God out of our relationship with God through Jesus. Um, And any kind of praying needs to be done with deep humility, with a deep awareness of how badly we need the Lord to even help us know how to pray. But one of the most helpful things about using God's word in prayer is that it teaches us to pray what is true. It's a way for us to learn. Now, it's easy to say that, but it can help to see some examples. So turn to Psalm 139. We're going to read a passage, and then we're going to look at some examples of how we might take what's in that passage 
and use it in prayer. Now, if you have kids who went to summer camp with student ministries, you may have heard that Omri Miles led a breakout session on this. And when I heard several people share how helpful it was, I asked him if we could use that here in Wellspring. So we're going to read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Now we are going to just use verse 1 and share some examples of how to use that in prayer. And you have all the examples we're going to give in your notes. So verse 1, David wrote, O Lord, you have searched and known me. So we could start with confessing or agreeing with God about the truth of the verse. That's what confess means, just means to agree. We could, we could pray, God, your word says that you had searched and known David. You have also searched and known me. And that's just taking what's in the verse and agreeing with God about it. Now, agreeing with God about sin might also be appropriate at this point if sin is brought to light by that truth. Maybe something like, Lord, you've searched and known my thoughts and you know my complaining attitude because that's what's in my thoughts. Lord, I'm thankful that Jesus died on the cross so that I can be forgiven and walk in newness of life. I'm not a slave to complaining. Instead of complaining, I offer my mind to you as an instrument of righteousness. When I am tempted to complain today, I will quickly repent and turn to thoughts of thanks to you for your perfect knowledge of me. And I will trust that you are working in my circumstances for your glory and my good. Now that prayer goes beyond what's in verse 1, but it was prompted by the truth that was in that verse. Now we might praise God by praying something like this. Your ability to search and know me is amazing. No one else can search and know me the way you do, God. Now the point is not a particular set of words. We're all going to say this differently, but we're praising God for the truth that the verse contains. A prayer of thanks might go like this. Thank you for searching and knowing me. Thank you for revealing this truth in your word so that I can consider and remember the greatness of your knowledge. Now, is that what we would typically thank God for off the top of our head? You know, not necessarily, but cultivating this discipline of tying our prayers to scripture opens up whole new vistas of truth about which we can pray. Do you see how this could battle that feeling of lethargy in prayer that we sometimes get when we just aren't sure what to pray or maybe we feel like our prayers are a broken record? So let's do one more. How about pleading with God from the truth of this verse, praying for ourselves and others? Well, perhaps we might say something like, God, help me to believe that you have actually searched and known me the way that David believed this. Make me understand how thoroughly you have searched and known me. Please make my unsaved friend realize that you have searched her 
and you are displeased by the sin you have found inside her, cause her to turn to Jesus for salvation from your displeasure. That's just one example. Now, to really start to incorporate scripture into our prayers, we need to practice so that all of us have the chance to get a little more comfortable with taking the truth of God's word and using it in prayer. So we're going to do that with verses 13 through 16. So we'll start by reading those together. Look at Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now we're going to take a few minutes to work on this on our own. We're on page five of the outline. So first, I want you to pick a verse. And, and we're going to just stick with one verse for this because it's helpful to see how even one verse can be a springboard to a rich time of prayer with the Lord. And then using one of the areas suggested for prayer in your outline, try your own hand at writing out a prayer to God that reflects the truth of the verse. And if you finish with one kind of prayer on the outline, you can move on and work on another. You can go in any order. Um, but remember that you're praying. Even though you're silent, go ahead and pray these words as you're writing and lift them before the Lord. So this may be brand new to you, so if you have any questions or you feel stuck, just raise your hand. I can come help you or Lori or if there's a, another discussion leader at your table, she can give you a hand with that. So I'm going to pray, ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll take a few minutes to work on this on our own. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, you not only expect us to pray, you invite us to pray. Thank you for the great privilege of coming before your throne of grace. I pray that now, as we work on taking your word and putting it into prayer, that your spirit would help us, help us to draw near to you in a rich and meaningful way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and give, try your own hand at using God's word in prayer.
go ahead and finish your sentence. Everybody looks so studious and deep in thought. This is probably old hat for most of you. Does anybody have any questions now that you've tried it? Anybody get stuck? Well, in your discussion group, maybe you can share what you came up with if you feel like doing that because it can just be encouraging to hear how different people pray. It's really neat to say very same verse and different people can do something very different with that in prayer. But now that you've tried that for yourself, you can do the same thing with verses that you find in your reading plan or when you review your theme journal. Um, You could do that when you review this card that we got early in the year or with verses that are in the booklet that you received today. So you'll see suggestions for doing this in your booklet, but remember that the whole idea is to let God's word teach us what to say when we draw near to the throne of grace. So we've looked at Jesus' prayer life now, we've talked about some practical considerations, and we've practiced what it might look like to tie our prayers to scripture. So now we're going to walk through the booklet you received this morning. This is your Christmas present that Lori talked about. This is the surprise. Um, This booklet is like a toolbox. There are a number of different resources here to help us with various aspects of heart shepherding and prayer. Um, You may find it helpful to put the PDF uh, of the book on your phone. I had sent it to Lori just to proofread, and she said she ended up pulling it up in the grocery store. So if that's helpful to you, that'll be available on the website. Um, But not everything in here will necessarily be helpful to everybody. Um, But the idea is that you've got a variety of tool in your hands here so that the resources are available and when we need help or when a friend needs help or our children need help, maybe we're falling into distraction in our prayer time or we need help getting organized on how to pray for different needs in our lives. Uh, Maybe we find that our current grasp on fighting sin isn't yielding a lot of change. There are a lot of helpful tools here to address struggles like these. So we're going to walk through them together and just show you what's here. So go ahead and open up the booklet. The first thing you'll find after the table of contents is letting God's truth help us pray. And that's what we've just practiced doing together. But sometimes when something is new, it's clear one minute And then by the time we get home and we sit down and we think, now, how did I do that again? Um, And so there are a lot of examples here, including the ones that we did together. And so if you need some help remembering or it's helpful to see more examples, you can make use of those pages um, if that's helpful to you. And now let's turn to page six. This page says, preparing to meet with God in his word. You know, opening up our Bible may not always be what we want to do, what we feel like doing. You know, in the moment, there are a lot of other things that can seem way more attractive to our flesh. You know, sleeping, getting things done, relaxing. And this is a list, right here, what you have is a list of verses that can help warm our hearts to meeting with God. 
when it's cold outside and it's nighttime and someone builds a great big bonfire, why do we come to that fire? Well, we don't come because we're already warm, do we? We come because the fire has what we don't have. We're cold. It's dark. But that fire will make us warm and it gives us light. And so why do we open up our Bible? Because we already feel near to God? Not always. We may need to come to the Word because we are cold spiritually. We have indwelling sin that drags us away all the time. But we come to this because it's a flame and we need to get warm. We need its light. And one way we can warm our hearts is to prayerfully rehearse why we're coming to the Word. Now, you, you might remember that Tom started his lesson with asking us that question. Why do you come to the Word? Well, on this page, there are some verses that can help us remind, help remind us why we come. Like we just practice, we can take the truths here and form our own prayers to God. Look at just that first phrase on the page. Do you see where it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord? You know, thinking and praying about that could prepare us to open God's word, anticipating the delight that he has for us there as we draw near to him in his word. And there are other resources that can also help warm our hearts for our time with the Lord. We can use our Wellspring songbook or the gospel primer. Or collections of prayers, such as Valley of Vision. Um, You can review this card that we got earlier in the year. But the goal is to get our heart ready to meet with God in his word. Um, On the next page, then, we see some focal points for heart shepherding prayer. And we saw some of these in Jesus' prayer life. And some of these were included in the prayer that he taught his disciples. Um, These lists are here. Because it can be helpful to look over these categories from time to time. We might see an area where we would like to grow, where we need to grow, or where it would be helpful to look at some scripture to help us know better how to pray. And we'll talk more about what it might look like to incorporate this um, into our time with the Lord in the next section. But first, let's just make sure we understand uh, what each of these is talking about. So first we have praising God. We practiced that already in Psalm 139. This is about worshiping God for who he is. And the only place where we get the true understanding of who he is is from his word. Using God's word helps us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So these references can help us do this. And these lists are just to get us started. You could easily use verses right out of what you're reading in the word to worship God. Um, In fact, a great way to stay engaged in your reading is to read a section and then stop and worship God for what you saw to be true about him in that section. That also helps get that truth into the long-term memory so that it stays on your mind throughout the day. Um, And also, just know this book is yours, so you can feel free to add verses that you find if you want to come back to them. Then another focal point for heart shepherding prayer is battling sin. Spurgeon said, light thoughts of sin breed light thoughts of the Savior. And that is why we want to think rightly about sin, so that we think rightly about Jesus. And rehearsing the truth about sin in prayer is a powerful tool for battling temptation. 
So we have references to give us fuel for praying about sin's offensiveness to God. We need to remember that our sin angers and grieves our Savior. There are also verses about sin's power to entangle us. Remember what the gospel has done. The believer has been set free from slavery to sin, but sin can still entangle. We can be tripped up by it and overwhelmed by it. That's because we're in a mixed condition. And that's very different than what we used to be. But this present condition is one in which we must not forget sin's power to entangle us. Next, there are verses for praying about sin's danger. You know, sin is dangerous. Jesus said it's better to radically amputate sin than to be thrown into hell. Sin is not a toy to play with. It's not just a mistake. It can kill us. And apart from Jesus, we would perish in hell forever because of it. Agreeing with God about that in prayer helps strengthen our battle for holiness. Next, we see verses that remind us that my sin is deceptive to me. And if you're missing those verses, I have some stickers that you can add that to your book, if that got left out of your book. Um, But our sin deceives us like this. It says, or we say, you know, it's not that bad. I'm in control of this. I won't let it entangle me. You know, it's not really hurting anybody. Sin easily deceives us about the seriousness of our sin. So if we do not fight to have scripture's view of sin, we will easily be taken in by sin's deception and will become unconcerned about sin's nearness to us. We'll become vulnerable to sin's entanglements. Sin will become tolerable to us and even desirable to us. Before we know it, we become weaker and weaker toward our sin. We easily become protective of our sin and even justify our sin. If we do nothing, our view of our sin only grows cloudy. So there's huge protection against sin and strength for battling sin in agreeing with God about the nature of sin on some regular basis, maybe daily, maybe weekly, reviewing what is true about sin. So there are some other verses there to inform our understanding about sin in general, and then you see the heading, Repenting of Sin. These verses help us identify sin and instruct us in confession and repentance. They help us identify not only what we need to turn away from, but also what change looks like. Just like we practice, we can take the truth of the verses here and use that truth to shape our own prayer. Now, further on in the book, we'll find more tools that can help us with repentance. But any time we're dealing with sin, whether it's our own sin or we're helping someone else deal with sin, it is so important. Please, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. When we are dealing with sin, we have to keep the gospel close at hand. All right? There is only discouragement and defeat um, to be found in trying to deal with sin apart from the gospel. And so that's why you see right next is some verses that help us rehearse the gospel. Now, why would we do that? Why do we preach the gospel to ourselves? Well, it's because it's God's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ that has made us acceptable in his sight. Rehearsing this again and again allows us to prayerfully communicate to God that we love his work in our life through Jesus 
and that we are earnest to grasp more completely his love expressed to us in the gospel. And if we stagger today under the weight of our sin, the gospel will lift us up and remind us of our hope. And if we are in a moment of gospel growth and success, rehearsing the gospel will lead us to humbly acknowledge that all the credit goes to God. In both instances, our thoughts and our hearts are drawn to Jesus. Now, there are verses here, um, and in addition, that blue card that I pulled out before is full of verses which can help us rehearse gospel realities. Next, you see then thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is commanded over and over again in Scripture. It offers protection against anxiety and discontentment as we take note of the many evidences of his grace and his provision, his kindness in the really big work of salvation, all the way to the smallest detail of our lives. These verses give us many reasons to give thanks, many ways to express thanks, and even many of the benefits of thankfulness. And then finally, we have praying for myself and others. This is where we lay needs and burdens before him and express our reliance on him. We already talked about how we might organize those needs, but these verses can help direct us in how to pray for those needs. They help us to pray, again, according to God's will. Now, on the next page, you have space where you can record additional verses or write out verses that you find. Now, that might seem like a lot to digest, And so, beginning on verse 11, you can just take a deep breath. (sighs) Okay, no burden on anybody here. Um, But beginning on verse 11, these, what's that? What'd I say, verse 11? Yeah, Yeah, page 11, thank you. (laughs) Um, These verses are uh, laid out um, for these areas of prayer for each day of the week. So we've taken some of the verses from the list that we looked at and spread them out day by day. Um, And by the way, Dina gets a gold star. She labored so hard to get this figured out how to lay it out so we could print it. She, I can't even tell you how many hours. She probably wouldn't tell us how many hours, but thank you, Dina. Yeah. Um, um, and so these verses are just laid out here, laid out day by day. Um, and so remember, again, this is just a help. This is just a tool. Use it to the extent that it would be helpful to you. Um, Perhaps you would rather spread out what's here over several days, or um, maybe there's an area in your prayer life that you think, you know what, I'd really like to grow in including the rehearsing the gospel in my prayer life. And so maybe you just want to make use of that part of it. Um, but what, however you use it, just remember, the point is to make it something that's useful to you and to take God's word to help you come before his throne of grace. Now, on Sunday, you see there um, at the end, there's a praying weekly section, and it says, my small group and ministries in which I serve. Um, You could write down the names of those people or put them on a sticky note and add them to the book there. But on each day, there's a different prayer focus for um, under praying weekly. So if, if you need help organizing how to pray for different areas of your life, you might find that section helpful to you. Monday, the focus is on evangelism. Um, Tuesday, it's government, world affairs, persecuted believers. Wednesday, it's missions. Um, we have Team PNG there, as well as others who are involved in global ministry. You know, we want to be a church that supports our missionaries well. So this is a tool that could be hel- that could help us to be faithful in prayer for them. 
Um, Thursday then has miscellaneous needs. Friday, uh, we have extended family. And then Saturday lists some ways that you could pray for Grace Bible Church. Tom Angstead took the time to write these out for us. Each week, you could then go back and you could pray through these pages again if that's helpful to you. Um, So that's just one suggestion. There's no expectation that you will pray this way. But what I do want to plead with you is to be faithful in prayer. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for our church. We just sent three families to the other side of the planet. We just bought a building. We need that grace and mercy that Jesus gives when we draw near to him on his throne of grace. Now, on page 25, you see a page entitled, Praying Through Titus 2, 3 through 5. Now, you might remember this suggestion when we had the Titus 2 lesson. Many times we don't see growth in an area of our life unless we're thinking and praying about it regularly. And that can be frustrating to know that we need to grow, but not necessarily see a lot of progress. And so this page has Titus 2, 3 through 5 printed out at the top. Um, And then there are some suggested ways that you could review and pray about each quality. And then each of the qualities are listed there as well. Again, it's just another tool. You can use it a little, use it a lot, but it's here to be helpful if you find that to be useful. Um, Then the next pages, you see the gray and the blue cycles from the lesson that we had with Tom Angstead. Now, remember what Tom taught us about how the things listed around the outside of that gray circle are red flags? They should get our attention and alert us that something has drifted in our thinking, that it's time to evaluate, what am I treasuring? What am I worshiping? What desire have I elevated and allowed to become something that I think I deserve or that I'm even demanding to make me happy right now? What does it look like to believe God, to trust him and thank him instead, to worship him instead of my desires? Those are questions which are helpful to ask ourselves often. And so the cycles are here to help us remember what those red flags are revealing and to help us walk in repentance and faith. So you have the gray circle, you have the blue circle, and then you see a page entitled, What is Repentance? Tom Angstead suggested that we include these pages as well. Now, sometimes believers get discouraged in their repentance. We might feel like we're just not making much progress. Well, that could be because we just want to be done with it. We don't want sanctification to be a process, but it is. We're in a mixed condition in which we can battle sin. We are in this process of sanctification, and part of that process, um, and part of making progress in our battle with sin, is to have a good understanding of what repentance is. So let's just read the first bullet together here. Repentance begins with the knowledge of sin. Sin is essentially our futile attempt to dethrone God from being our highest pursuit, love, joy, and delight. Sin is substituting primarily ourselves in God's place as our highest pursuit, love, joy, and delight. Whether it's in our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our deeds, our desires, our relationships, or in our emotions. Repentance begins with understanding this. 
do you? Now, doesn't that just cut right to the heart of our sin? And the rest of these are much like that. So come back and read these on your own. Um, There's a lot here for all of us to strengthen us in our battle with sin. Now, the next page, then, is to help us prepare for temptation. Remember, when we looked at Jesus' prayer life, how many times he um, told the disciples that they needed to pray that they would not fall into temptation. So what we do to prepare for temptation is a significant part of our battle with sin. Now, we're not going to read all of this together, but again, it's so worth coming back on your own and familiarizing yourselves with all these tools. I find it helpful to turn back to this page from time to time and remind myself of just how basic it is to resist temptation. You know, it isn't complicated. You know, it's not always easy, but it's not complicated. And it really can be helpful to remind ourselves of that and to plan our escape before that temptation comes. Now, we're almost to the end. The last tool in our shepherding handbook is a recovery plan. It's so easy to respond unbiblically to our own sin to wallow in it for a while, to be weighed down with guilt, to give up, to wrongly think that somehow I have to deserve for God to receive me back into close fellowship again. That, you know, maybe I just ought to feel rotten for a while so that I can prove I'm really sorry. Anybody ever struggle with that? But none of those responses reflect what Christ did on the cross. It is so important that we understand and believe that. The most God-honoring response to our own sin is to turn back to God in repentance, to receive what Christ has done for us on the cross, and to walk in newness of life. And this recovery plan right here lays out what that could look like. It doesn't have to look just like this, but there are some really helpful principles here that can help us turn away from wallowing in sin and guilt and get our eyes back on Jesus. And again, it's a tool. If this is an area that you want help or someone you know would like some help, it's here to help guide you in what a biblical path of recovery might look like. And then finally, you have a few blank pages where you could organize your prayer concerns or write out some helpful verses. If you change your prayer list from time to time, you might want to put them on sticky notes back here. Um, And then you can easily update them. Um, So if you have any questions about any of these tools, please, I I, I want you to ask me. My, My heart here is I want this to be useful to you. So please uh, give me a call, uh, email me, grab me afterwards, check with Lori. Um, But these tools, again, they're just suggestions. They're things for you to try um, that might enrich our time of drawing near to God in his word and in prayer. Now, we have a lot of weeks off over Christmas break. We have more than a month, and it would be a great idea for you to spend some time reading through all these resources while we're off, um, just as kind of part of your homework even. Now, in the coming days, we need to anticipate that we may get discouraged by failure to live up to our own expectations. We might already be there. Maybe we're feeling like, yeah, I'm just not keeping up with my Bible reading. I didn't do my homework, or I am so not faithful in prayer. 
But that's one reason we come together, so we can encourage one another that we've got to keep fighting for this. If you need to just be faithful with what you're already doing, then do that. Be encouraged that it's worth it and encourage others to persevere. And if you need some tools to make this discipline fresh um, and fruitful in your life, then give these a look. Now, to close, we're going to read together the letter you received when you came in. This is a great summary of all of why all of this matters, so you can read along if you'd like to. Um, but what we do when we're alone with the Lord is not just about us individually. Remember, God designed us to need each other in the body, and so we shepherd our hearts, meeting with God, praying, preaching truth to ourselves throughout the day, so that we're ready to shine the light of Jesus to those around us, beginning in our home and beyond, living humble, authentic lives of dependence on Jesus. So here's the letter. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to live your life in such a way that it intends to draw my attention to the glory and greatness of God. I beg you not to sleep in tomorrow morning, but instead to get up and read your Bible. Discover afresh the beauty of God in the sacred text. Dwell upon his faithfulness to his own promises. Muse upon his glorious gift of grace and the salvation of sinners like you and me. Write the word of God upon your own heart so that it produces reverence for God. Also, I urge you to spend time on your knees in prayer. And whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Don't let your mind wander. Don't stop praying until you start praying. Drive yourself into humble submission before the great and infinite reservoir of grace that you might find help in your neediness. As you leave and go about your day, please preach the glories of the gospel to yourself. Tell yourself afresh of the glorious gift of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, that incarnation of holiness and love. Hear again the words of John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Watch him obey the law in your place. See his perfection in both speech and in deed. Hear him say afresh, I always do what is pleasing to my Father. Watch him march resolutely to the cross to purchase our redemption. See him pray for his executioners. Evangelize his fellow crossbearers. Gasp for breath. Commission his disciple. Proclaim it is finished. And then give up his life. See him here and marvel. But don't stop here. Run with the disciples to the tomb and stoop with them and see. See the linen cloths by themselves. And you too come away marveling at what had happened. Rejoice at the reality of the living Savior who has given his life to vindicate the glory of God and rescue a people for himself. Now as you leave, sing the doctrinal praise along with Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in tune with Peter, with joy inexpressible. And now, believer, come and talk to a Christian like me and tell me something. Tell me something eternal. Give me something for my soul. 
Tell me what impresses you about Christ. Tell me of the gospel's power. Tell me of Christ's success as a high priest. Tell me of his impending return. Tell me of the divine purpose in trials. Tell me the perseverance of the saints. Tell me of the ultimate success of the church and tell me God's gracious work in your life. Tell me of the purity and power of the word of God. Tell me of how you are praying for me. Please, I need you to do this. My heart needs to hear continually of why Christ is so great. So please, Christian, don't forget to tell me. Please be a good friend. And by the grace of God, I will return the favor to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for inviting us, commanding us, giving us the great high privilege of knowing you through Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us and making us your children. Father, thank you that you've made us a body together. Lord, as we go to our discussion groups, I pray that, Lord, you would guide our sharing, that you would help each one of us be ready to share what you know we need to share. We'd be ready to encourage and build others up. Father God, I do pray that each one of us would find something in this lesson that will help us to be spurred on, to excel still more, to know you better, and to shine your light more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.